you may be seated. I, I don't know that I've ever, if I've ever heard your voices sing with more beauty than that last song as you are worshiping your Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you'll open them to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, we have been in a four-week series entitled Finding Rest, and we began this series on Easter Sunday, and on week one, uh, Jesus entered into the scene with a radical message. Jesus didn't say, do this, give this, follow these rules, and then God will love you. Unlike all the other major religious teachers, Jesus came onto the scene and he looked at a group of people who had been working really hard to follow all the rules that the Pharisees said they had to follow, to live up to all the laws of the Old Testament civil and ceremonial law. And he looked at those people and he said to them, come to me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Perhaps some of us today can relate to that crowd because we come having worked really hard and having been very busy all week, and we're just trying to do the right thing and be the person that we, we want to be. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, come to me, all you who are weary and I'll give you rest. He goes on to say, all of you take up my yoke and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. It's important for us to understand that the rest that I've been talking about throughout this series is not something that we manufacture. It's not something that is found within ourselves You can't do enough, you can't be nice enough, you can't go to church enough to find the rest that Jesus offers because the rest that Jesus offers is not the absence of stress. Christ's rest is the presence of God within you. And no matter what you go through, the presence of God, whenever you are a believer in Christ, never leaves you. And so you begin to find rest with the realization that in my past, I have forgiveness. I've done things that I regret. I've done things that are wrong. But in my past, I have forgiveness. And in my presence, I have purpose and simplicity that is found in the gospel. And as I look to the future, I rejoice in hope because Christ will be in my future. Now, in week two, we talked about how faith must be greater than fear. We live in this world of constant information. We're taking in information all the time. And so when news breaks across the nation, we know it immediately and then we see it repeatedly. And we are aware of things that are beyond our control all the time. And because of this, I see this a lot, a lot of people are just walking around in constant fear. We're so aware of all these things. And so we're just scared. And so we saw that the solution to fear is faith, and we trust in God's perfect love. And whenever you're trusting in God's perfect love, it drains us of fear, and it fills us with faith. Often, God brings us up to a point in life where we're kind of at a border. And we looked at Hebrews chapter 4, when the children of Israel, they had left Egypt, and God had taken care of them. They had seen God do great miracles when he parts the Red Sea. Uh, He led them every step of the way, and in supernatural ways, just took care of them. 
And then they came up to the border of the promised land. The promised land represented rest. They would finally have a place of their own. These people had been slaves all their lives. Now they have their own place and they could rest and they could have something that was theirs. God had led them every step of the way. They come up to the border. They send 12 spies to go look at the land. Ten of them come back and they embrace fear. They say, we can't do it. It's, the people are too strong. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, come back and they say, no, faith is greater than fear. Let's go forward. What did the masses do? The masses cowered in fear and they retreated. And so instead of finding the rest that God had led them towards, instead they spent the rest of their lives wandering in the wilderness. And it was only those that had faith that experienced the rest that God had for them. Now last week I had a very practical sermon for you. And that is that we need to intentionally unplug from the world and plug into God. That we need to begin practicing the Sabbath habit. Now, I'm not wanting to be legalistic on this and get into some type of Old Testament ritual here, but the principle of unplugging from the world, unplugging from the pressures of the world, at least one day a week, setting that aside to worship God, uh, recharge your batteries, spend time with family, and then every day setting some time aside where you practice the Sabbath habit and you unplug from all these things that tempt you to worry and fill you with fear, and instead you plug your soul into God and allow Him to charge you and fill you with His presence. And today, I want to talk to you about finding rest by seeing the finish line. Before the first word is put on paper, the author dreams a story. Before the first brushstroke is put on the canvas, the artist dreams a masterpiece. Before the first uh, shovel of dirt is taken from the ground, the architect dreams a blueprint. Can you see what the end looks like. Yogi Berra, the great philosopher that he is or was, one time said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll end up someplace else. Profound, I know. Well, here's a question for you. What does the finish line of life look like? What does the finish line look like? And a second question. Does the finish line of life scare you, or does it energize you? Well, Paul, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 20, finds himself in a very difficult set of circumstances. Paul had been arrested. He was under a state of house arrest, and he was awaiting his sentence. He did not know if he would live or die. He didn't know if he had one day, one month, uh, years. He didn't know if he might be able to continue with his ministry. And so he writes this letter to the church at Philippi. And in verse 20, here's what he says. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, put yourself in his sandal. He does not know if he has tomorrow. 
He does not know when the Roman soldier might come from him, come for him and take his life. He is in very, very difficult circumstances. But instead of doom and gloom, he says, my eager expectation. He brings to the circumstances a positive attitude. Instead of shattered dreams, he says, my expectation and hope. Instead of shame, his freedom had been taken away. Everything that he had had been taken away from him. But instead of shame, he says, with all boldness, instead of lost purpose, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He has a singleness of purpose. He says here, even in chains, my prayer is that Christ will be highly honored. And it is from that attitude, it is from that perspective that the Holy Spirit of God comes on Paul and he writes some of the most incredible words that have ever been penned by man. In verse 21, he says, For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. If you will wear those words, if you'll let them wrap around you, if you'll dive into that sentence and absorb it for all the truth that it contains, that is a sentence that can change your life in multiple ways. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Dying is gain. That whole idea kind of runs contrary to everything that our society thinks about death. I mean, nobody hashtags dying is gain. That's different than our society. You know, in America, death is the ultimate finality. If, if somebody dies young, what do we call it? Tragedy. Yeah, y'all were whispering. It's like, I'm not sure if that's right or not, but I'm going I'm to guess tragedy, okay? Uh, yeah, a tragedy. We call it a tragedy. The worst punishment in our judicial system is the death penalty. And, and if you watch people, uh, we really go to great lengths to distance ourselves from death. In fact, we call it just about everything but death. <laughs> in, our, in, our, uh, in our culture, we want to make sure that we put as much distance as we can between us and death. So no matter how many times Donkey Kong steps on Mario, he keeps on living. It takes seven actors to keep James Bond young for 54 years. That guy's been running away from bullets, and he never ages, he never dies, he just keeps on living. As a pastor, I, I've been to a lot of funerals, and one of the things that I observe at funerals is people will go out of their way to avoid looking at death. They'll do everything they can to make sure that they keep distance between themselves and death. And sometimes we distance ourselves so far from the reality of the finish line that we begin to believe it's never going to happen to me. I'm immortal. That's why a lot of people do some really, really foolish stuff. Because we lose sight of the finish line. Well, here's the Starbucks highly caffeinated truth for you today. Earthly hope is always temporary. And here's my Joel Osteen positive thinking comment for the day. We are all going to die. I know, positive, isn't it, right? We are all going to die. 
And death is final, and it's horrible unless someone can transform it for you. So Paul goes on to say in verse 27, just one thing, just one thing, okay? If we can narrow everything down, uh, eliminate all the confusion, and just simplify things, here we go. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then, whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So here's Paul's big idea. Dying is gain because Jesus transformed dying. Uh, Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, he turns a loss into a victory. He turns darkness into life. He turns, he, he turns the finish line into the starting line. He turns physical death into eternal life. And how does Jesus do that? He does it by coming to earth, taking on flesh. John says, tabernacling, living among us, but Jesus lives a life that none of us can live because each of our lives have been stained by sin. In each of our lives, we have a common denominator that we are in need of forgiveness, but Jesus lives a sinless life. Ultimately, his life leads to the same finish line that each of us will face. His life leads to death, but it was not simply uh, the exemplary death of a great teacher who died standing for his principles. Whenever Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he died as a substitute for you and me. He was making an atonement for our sins, and there on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God intended for my sin upon himself, and he took that wrath into the grave, but the grave could not contain him because he was not mere man. He was the Son of God, and he was sinless, and so he came out of the grave conquering death and hell, and he calls you, and he calls me to come to him and in him find rest because the reality is is that I cannot be good enough to measure up to God's standards. I cannot do enough. I cannot love enough. I cannot uh, go to church enough to be the person that God ultimately desires me to be. The only way that I can find the forgiveness for my past is to come to Christ because in him God says you are justified. It's just as if I have never sinned and I have been forgiven in Christ, and because of that, everything about my past has been has been transformed, and my presence has purpose, and even whenever I go through difficult circumstances, I realize that God is at work, and He is growing me, and He is stretching me, and He is maturing me, and whenever I reach the finish line of life, it's not doom and gloom, it's not darkness. Instead, the finish line has become a starting line because in Christ, I don't just have a hundred-year window in which to live In Christ, I have all eternity to worship him and to know him and to be his. In Christ, I have life. In Christ, I have rest. And this, my friends, is what the Bible calls the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. It simplifies things in everything that you do and everything that you are. Simply just try one thing. Live your life, verse 27, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. In your marriage, 
live worthy of the gospel. When you're parenting, live worthy of the gospel. When you go to school, try to live worthy of the gospel. When you go to work, when you walk the dog, whenever you meet people, when people have their windows blown out, when people have holes in their roof, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. It simplifies. Okay, what, what do Chipotle, Raising Cane's, In-N-Out Burger, Wingstop, and Starbucks have in common? Say lots and lots of grease. Well, the answer is that each of them demonstrate the power of simplicity. They have a unique selling point, and they have a simple menu. I I came across uh, a stat this week on reasons why restaurants fail. No, I'm not thinking about opening up a restaurant or anything like that, but the number one reason why restaurants fail is that they have no unique selling point. The number two reason why a restaurant fails is because they have too big of a menu. I think often the number one reason why people live a restless life is because you don't know why you're here, and you don't know where you're going. And because of that, things just get too complicated. And sometimes we just need things to be simplified. And so, do you find yourself in in your life always restless? It very well could be that you've made life too complicated. The Bible says, living is Christ. This is my earthly purpose and everything that I do and say, I want to live my life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And whenever you're able to say that, to live is Christ, this is why I take up space and take in air, I want to live for Christ. What it does is it brings to your life the power of simplicity. Things become much less complicated really quickly. And then the Bible says, dying is gain. Whenever you understand that, uh, that the finish line is heaven, It brings to your life the power of hope. To live is Christ. Now I have the power of simplicity. To die is gain. Now I have the power of hope. And whenever I take the power of simplicity and I take the power of hope and I I merge those and I bring those into my life, I, I suddenly begin to experience what Christ says when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. There's simplicity and there's hope that transcends everything life brings my way. The time is going to come when the doctor comes in and tells you you're sick. Or maybe the person that you love very, very much dies. Or maybe you will look in the mirror and realize that you are now old enough to pull off Bermuda shorts with knee-length black dress socks and black dress shoes, and nobody will really think that you're that odd. That time will come. (laughs) And when that time comes, you're going to start looking everywhere for hope. You're going to ask your grandkids to dress you. You're going to take this medicine, endure this surgery, go on a cruise so that you can relax, buy an RV so that you can spend your children's inheritance. Amen. Earthly hope does offer some limited benefits, but it offers no guarantees. And a lot of times it it brings with it false promises. We think if I just get that, if I just pursue that, if I just go there, then, then I'll find satisfaction. And so we get that, go there, pursue that. 
and we're still restless. But the hope that Jesus offers, it never dies. It's been guaranteed by his blood. And Jesus always keeps his promises. In this room today, the reality is, is that a lot of us are very restless. And maybe you've made some mistakes in life and there's some things about your past that you're ashamed of. Maybe people have lied to you along the way. They've disappointed you. You've been hurt. Perhaps you've begun to realize how limited your time really is. And sadly, for many, somewhere along the line, you quit dreaming. You quit being that writer that dreams dreams the great story before he ever writes a word. You quit being that architect or that artist that envisions a masterpiece before the first brush stroke. You've quit dreaming. You've quit living. You've quit thinking about where you're headed. And instead, you're just wandering through life. For many of us, we've stopped living and we've started surviving. And I want to challenge you today to start living again, to live as Christ. Experience the power of simplicity. Experience the power of hope. Experience the power of rest that is found in these seven simple words. Living as Christ and dying as gain. Wrap those words around you. Wear them. Live them. Find hope in them. Life is far too eternal for you to just survive it. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in worship. If today is a day of decision in your life, perhaps you're wanting to be saved, perhaps uh, you're wanting to join the church, make a commitment of some sort to the Lord, I'll be here at the front, and it would be my joy to pray with you and encourage you however I may. I'll be here after the service as well. And it's always my delight to be a pastor to you. For some, you may want to find this time as a time of prayer. And so you can be seated and pray. You can come to the front and pray. For others, it'll be a time of worship. And you'll sing with the band. And I encourage you to lift up your voices in song to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the reality of your love for us. And may that never escape us. Lord, we thank you that we have seen from your word a way to find rest. That there is simplicity through the reality that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Help us to realize, Lord, that in you hope never ends. That in you the finish line of life is really the starting line. And so may we find strength and rest knowing that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us that there is purpose to what we do. And Lord, may we become the people that you desire us to be as we live our life for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.